0: Back in the 90s, when we didn't have Bluetooth, radio, and you didn't even have a jack where you could plug in your phone and listen to music, and many of us didn't even have CD players, Uh, we had cassette tapes. Those were those little things here, and they would get unwound, and you had to take your pinky pinky finger and get into the little hole and start cranking. Yeah? I mean, how many people, raise your pinky if you just did that one time. Okay, there it is. All right. And... You'd listen to cassette tapes, and then they'd, they'd get old. So you would, what would you do? You'd listen to the radio. And there were many nights when driving back from one town to our hometown, uh, we would scan the radio, and we would come to the easy listening channel. That's right, I listen to easy listening music, all right? And uh, there was a certain lady who would come on the radio starting at 7 and to midnight. Her name is Delilah, okay, Delilah. And that, that, oh, who's that raising their hand over there? You feeling Delilah? Oh, I see a man. That's what I'm talking about. And Delilah would come on, and it would say, turn the lights down low, and turn the music up loud. Let's talk face-to-face or heart-to-heart or something. Delilah. You know? All of a sudden. Uh, she would take calls and people would call in that night and, and they would express what's going on in their life. And I mean, she was the queen of sappy love songs. So she had one ready to go as soon as they expressed their concern and she, she'd give her advice and, and she had some good advice. Uh, but then the song after was supposed to bring some, some healing, some consoling. And this is what Delilah has been known for. Uh, many people calling in to receive advice. And, you know, sometimes it was, it was kind of funny. It was humorous, the things that people would get upset over. But there was Delilah to take care of their concerns. But as time has gone on, uh, we continue to trust in people's opinions. Um, I would have never thought that we would have cell phones with texting. Because when I had, and we were talking about this this week in the break room at BBS, okay, where the real work was being done. We uh, were talking about the Nokia cell phones. How many of you had the blue Brick Nokia, okay, and you text, and you, and as you were texting to get the right letter, you may have to hit the button two or three times. And people became experts on this; so they didn't even have to look at the pad. I mean, they could. When doing student ministry, I had a girl who would put her phone behind her and she would text. I mean, definitely not during the message or anything, but other times. And you would text people messages, and I remember in college receiving a text message, and I'm going, "What? Is, what is this? Like, why would somebody go through all the trouble pushing those numbers just to send this short little message?" why don't you just pick up the phone and call me, right? But now, we don't just have text, we have group text. And in group text, whether you want to be a part of it or not, once it gets started, ding, 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 man, it's coming to your phone. And people start talking one to another, and they start asking opinions, and you're saying, hey, what do you think about this? And then everybody chimes in, and it's ongoing, and, and, and some of you are part of these, these group texts. And then for you men, it may be, a message board, like a sports message board that you go to for your favorite ball team and not only do you discuss sports, but you discuss life and all of a sudden somebody will type on there um, something that's a difficult decision to make. Like um, one guy typed on the message board one day. It's a football message board, by the way. And he said, hey, I'm having a difficult decision right now. I'm supposed to get married on such and such date. And that's a big rival game. What should I tell my bride-to-be? And I'm thinking, well, let me just tell you what you really need to say. Uh, but it was amazing. All these men say, man, I feel for you. Dude, that's really hard. You know, like, I'm, I, I, I feel your pain. Like, I, but, and then you always had that one guy who was like, man, I married the girl who loves sports, so we never had that problem. Okay? And And so this whole idea of running quick to man is something that is natural for us. And we do it often. And then sometimes when you ask somebody's opinion and they come back and say, have you prayed about this? Have you been reading the Word? It hits us in the face and and many times we go, well, yeah, I've prayed about it. Or, yeah, I've read God's Word, but I need an answer. Like, I need something, what, verbal. I want to see, I want to touch, I want to hear, I want to experience, man. That praying is, just takes too long. I don't hear an answer right away. and I read the Bible, I don't see what I'm looking for in the Bible. So we, we go to the Bible looking for our answers instead of letting the Bible guide us in the wisdom that God has for us. I think we're going to get a really good picture today as we continue with pasture to palace. And we look at Saul chasing David. And David had two great opportunities to kill Saul. I mean, we're going to see it in just a minute. I mean, these were prime opportunities. It looked like God-ordained moments, and he doesn't act. And here's what I want you to pay careful attention to. Be cautious when it seems like the decisions in your life are so simple that you don't even have to pray about it, right? I mean, why, why do I need to pray about it? I mean, I just know what to do. Because David had those situations, but I believe it's because he prayed and he trusted in God's Word, hid God's Word in his heart, that he made the right decision. So the title today, if you want to write this at the top of your page, is God's Word over Man's Opinion. And my, how we need this today. We need this every day, but heed the Word of God. 1 Samuel chapter 24 will be there, and then we're going to flip over to 1 Samuel 26, because we're looking at two different encounters here. And in 1 Samuel 24, Saul is pursuing David, and he gathers together 3,000 men. And these aren't just any 3,000 men. These are the chosen men of Israel. These are warriors. These are trusted men that Saul says, come with me. We're going to hunt down David and we're going to kill him because he is a threat to us. So here are these lies that Saul is spreading to these men. And these men are willing to give of themselves for this lie that Saul has spoken of. And here he gathers his men, and they're chasing down David. And they're in the wilderness of En Gedi. This is where David is hiding from Saul. At this time, you would think that Saul is going to destroy David. If you're reading this, like, for the first time, you're going, oh, David has no chance. But really, Saul is not fighting against David. Saul is fighting against God. He's fighting against God. This is God's anointed man, to be the king in the future. God anointed David. God chose David. The people chose Saul. Yes, he was the Lord's anointed, but David is God's chosen man. And Saul is going to be fighting against God. And so as the story goes on, they they get into the wilderness, and Saul has to go relieve himself. I don't think I need to explain that any further, okay? But he needs to relieve himself. So he goes into a cave. And you think, oh, a cave, a good place to be in. It's safe. I mean, you walk in and nobody can mess with you there. And you're thinking maybe just one or two caves are around here in the wilderness. No, there are hundreds, close to over a thousand caves in this area. So when we send our troops over to Afghanistan and they're fighting, we're like, why can't they just wipe out the Taliban? I mean, what's taking so long? What's happening? Because they're in a mountainous territory. And it's filled with caves and tunnels and all types of things that we're not used to. And here's a similar situation. And Saul picks a cave among thousands. And it happens to be the same cave that David and his men are hiding in. What are the chances of this happening? That Saul just happens to pick the cave where David and his men are hiding from Saul. And Saul is going to be in this most vulnerable position as he relieves himself. What are the chances of this? The chances are great because God is orchestrating this event. God is in control. And now Saul is sitting there as a lame duck. Man, he's in trouble. Now, all of a sudden, the word of man comes to David. Look with me in 1 Samuel 24, verse four. And the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. And this seems obvious. This is an obvious situation. I mean, hundreds, thousands of caves, Saul's in this one, the same cave that they're in or close by, and he can sneak up behind the man who's trying to kill him. And he can be justified in this. Hey, this is self-defense. This man came out here to kill me, and I'm defending myself. I killed him. And his men say, go, do it, David. We have your back. This is not only the best thing, this is a God thing. Go and do it. And so David sneaks up on Saul. And if we were watching this like a movie, all of a sudden the synthesizer would come on and you'd have this music going and it would be real intense. And here comes David sneaking up behind Saul and you think he's about to slit his throat. <laughs> this is a good one. No, I'm sorry. But it, he's sneaking up and all of a sudden he cuts off a corner of his rope. That's it. You're gonna cut off a corner of his robe and kill this guy. Your men are telling you, hey, kill him. We have your back. I mean, it seems like the prime opportunity. This man is hunting you down. Kill him. And David cuts off a corner of his robe. And as he walks away, he is struck to the heart. Look at verse 5. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And we're going, you, you shouldn't feel bad for that. I mean, you had a prime opportunity. You... You missed it. And then verse 6, he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. And then David persuaded his men. He persuades them to leave Saul alone. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went his way. And so here is this climactic dud. Okay, we're expecting... um, huge action to take place and then it's just cutting off the corner of a robe. But this robe represented the royalty of the king and only Saul had this robe and as David reaches out to cut a corner of the robe, he's saying, I'm cutting in on you. I am your replacement. But David knew that this was going too far. This was disrespecting the office of king and he was messing with the Lord's anointed. It was up to God to kill Saul, not for David to kill Saul. And understand this, this isn't a man who's afraid to kill somebody. I mean, he's killed his thousands, his tens of thousands. He is a warrior. He's seen much blood in his day and time. But he would not lay a finger on Saul. And so he insults the king by cutting a piece of his robe. And after he holds back his men, he says, it is not God's timing. That's hard when you stand against your trusted men who are telling you to do one thing and yet you are holding to the word of God. That's a difficult place to be in. And we need good friends. We need trusted people. We looked at that last week with, with David and Jonathan. Many of you studied that this morning in community group. We we need these types of relationships. But we don't need to heed their voice over God's. And David is listening to God over man. And as we continue forward in verse 8, afterward David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, my lord the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? What was Saul caught up with? He was listening to man. He wasn't listening to God. He says, Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. And then in verse 12, May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. So David chose not to fight against God. And he tells Saul, I have not sinned against you. I've done nothing wrong to you that you should come out here and seek my life. And then he says, may the Lord judge between me and you. That's a serious statement. You don't make these statements flippantly. You must be trusting in God's word if you're going to make this bold statement. Me and you, Saul, let let the Lord judge between us. David was living by God's word and so he has integrity in this moment. He is trusting in the Lord and only David could say this. Saul could not because Saul valued man's opinion over and over again. When he should have wiped out all the Amalekites, he didn't. He saved the king. Why? Because man's opinion. When he needed to offer up an, an offering to the Lord which was not his duty. Why did he do it? Because of man. Saul failed time and time again, not to listen to the Lord, but to listen to man. So what would have happened had David killed Saul? What if in that climactic moment, instead of cutting off the corner of his robe, he went after the throat? I mean, what would have happened then? One, it would have been a huge mistake because he would have disobeyed God. And he would have listened to man. But then the other part of it, he would have tarnished the kingship. From that point forward, it would be, oh, you want to be king? Just murder the king and you become king. That's how we're going to do things here in Israel. And that's not how God had it planned for the people. He had chosen his man and David knew he needed to wait his turn, wait out the timing of the Lord. What about us? What are the things that are tarnished due to our disobedience? What are the things that we miss out on because we feel like this is a no-brainer. I mean, here's Saul sitting down. Why not kill him? I mean, hello, all the caves. He's in this one. It's it's meant to be. How often do we live our lives like that? One day after the next with no prayer, (laughs) no reading the Bible, because we're saying, I've got this. I know the decisions I need to make. How often, teachers, do you go and teach and you never pray and ask God to lead you in your teaching because you go, I've taught a thousand lessons before? All the decisions that we make, how many times do you precede them with prayer and asking God to move? And sometimes we may even feel like God's inconvenienced by us or that we've got to do some things in order for God to hear us. And here's just a beautiful picture this morning after I was finished praying because I'm just going to confess to you right now. Here it is out in the open. I feel like that from time to time when I pray to the Lord that he's not listening or, and I have to remind myself that it's not my works but it's Christ's works. And then all of a sudden here comes my two-year-old little son, Paxton. Oh, man, you've got to watch him now, I'm telling you. But he comes up. And he says, Daddy, Daddy. And comes to give me this huge hug because it's the first time he had seen me this morning. And man, I wrapped my arms around him and I said, why would I not embrace my son? Why would I not hold him and love him and bring this smile to my face as if God was saying, it's me and you. And you come to me in prayer and you feel like you're inconveniencing me. Man, I'm wrapping my arms around you. Tell me what you need. Man, don't just pray something pretty. No, tell me what's on your heart because I already know it. I already know it. And then are we hearing God's Word? Or are we, so you say, what is it? Studying the Bible or praying? It is both and. It is dangerous to only pray and not read the Word of God or to read the Word of God and not pray. You will be puffed up and proud on either front. We need both. And so as you come to the Lord, you are seeking him for his word. How many decisions have you made recently on your own? Because you thought, I've got this. David was in the same situation, and yet he trusted in God's word. As we continue on in verse 16, as soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? I mean, what's all this father-son talk? Because truly that's, in a sense, the relationship they had. I mean, there was a time when Saul loved David. And I think at times he still loved David, but he was fighting with his own flesh. And it's like David coming over to hang out at the house with Jonathan. I mean, that's my kid's best friend. I mean, there's a relationship there, but what's caught in the middle of them? Sin. And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me, and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy Will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with your good for what you have done to me this day. And now, behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. So Saul shows this repentance, or we think, but it's more of regret. I mean, his life was in danger. Whew, he escaped, and he's saying, okay, thank you, God. Thank you, David. Okay, And I know that you will be king. So we're hearing what's on Saul's heart. This is why he's coming after David. He sees David as a threat and he's saying, I know you will be king. Although he knows this, he struggles with the reality because he knows he's going to be replaced. Saul is fighting for his life, but he's losing because he's fighting against God. He is not trusting in the Lord. He's trusting in his own decision-making. He's trusting in man's word. And in verse 22, David swore to Saul, Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. And both went their separate ways. They didn't hang out together after that. And David made a promise, which he does uphold, by the way that after Saul is gone, he takes care of the offspring of Saul. And so here's this, what appears to be this humble moment in Saul's life, and we go, end of story. Good. To God be the glory. David didn't make a mistake. Man, we can trust in a man like David. He did good. Way to go, David. Maybe Saul learned his lesson. No, it's not over yet. Flip over to 1 Samuel 26. So there's something that goes on in 1 Samuel 25, Very interesting in the life of David. You can read that later. But then we look in 1 Samuel 26. And here comes Saul again. Why? Because he heard from the Ziphites. I mean, leave it to the Ziphites, right, to come to Saul and say, Hey, we know where David is, and you need to go and get him. So what does Saul do? He gathers up 3,000 chosen men once again. This time I'm going to get him. I know what I said before. But that wasn't repentance. Do you get it? Because repentance leads to a change. There's no change in Saul. Only regret. And Saul and his men, they encamped in the hill of Akilah, which is best beside the road on the east of Jeshmon. David remained in the wilderness when he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies and learned that Saul had indeed come. Now, last time, Saul was in a cave by himself. His men outside of there. Why? Because he was relieving himself. And he's saying, guys, I got this. Let me be by myself. And then David and his men happened to be in the same cave, okay? As if that was a coincidence enough, now Saul is going to be surrounded by his 3,000. And Abner, who is the commander of the army, is going to be sleeping right near him. I mean, he is as safe as safe can be. He learned his lesson the last time. He says, I know David. Man, he is swift. So I'm going to be protected. And here, Saul thinks that he is safe. But you cannot hide from God. And It is God who is at work here once again. And Saul is in his safe place. He's in the middle of the camp. He's surrounded by his 3,000, Abner by his side. And he has his spear right there in the ground beside him, which shows his insecurity at any time he is ready to get up and fight. Surely now is the time that if David can get into this camp, that he should kill Saul. And David then asked his men, David said to Ahimelech, the Hittite, to Joab's brother Abishai, the son of Zariah, who will go down with me into the camp to Saul? Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai went to the army by night. And there lay Saul sleeping with the encampment, with his spear stuck in the ground at his head. And Abner and the army lay around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hands this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. And so everyone is sleeping. Imagine this scene. This army coming after David, they're all asleep. Saul and Logs, man, they are out, NyQuil, getting their Zs, gone. Even the most powerful man is nothing when he is asleep. David and Abishai They sneak up, and he says, man, come on, David. David, let me do this. What? That's all it's going to take, man. I will pin his head to the ground. I mean, pretty graphic, right? It shows the hatred that these men had towards Saul for coming after David. These are the kind of men you want by your side, men who will fight for you. Seems like the perfect moment. And David says, no. All of this in whispering format, I can only imagine David said to Abishai, do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but take now the spear that is at his head in the jar of water and let us go. Another anticlimactic moment. Here they are in the midst of the camp. They grab the spirit and the jar of water, and they leave. They went away. And no man saw it or knew it, nor did anyone awake. For they were all asleep because of a deep sleep from the Lord, which had fallen upon them. So here is this faithful warrior beside David. And David says, do not take action. Because Abishai does not understand What's happening? He appears noble, but he's missing the point. And the point is that Saul is still the Lord's anointed while he is alive. This role of king God has established for the people. He says, Do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? We would be guilty if we killed him. David has full confidence in God that God will bring judgment upon Saul in his timing. Once again, this is an example for us to be careful not to listen to man's opinion over God's word. And as we continue on, David then shouts. I mean, he gets his distance. There's this whole thing that happens in uh, these battles uh, where they shout at each other across the valley. And Remember, the words could travel easily. Uh, over a mile, they could hear each other. David gets a safe distance away, and he begins to yell at Abner. Abner, the commander of the army, he yells at him. He scolds him before all of the army. He wakes them all up. He's yelling so loud. And he says, Abner, you failed, man. You have failed. What is your job? You're the man. You are the man. You were the commander of the army, and you couldn't take care of the king. Do you not understand how valuable the role of king is? Who's shouting at Abner. The one who's running for his life. And yet he still values the role of king. And Abner can say nothing but look foolish in that moment. And then Saul hears this. Wakes up. Says, "That's that you, David? Yes. And after he realizes what has been done... Verse 21, then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. And David answered and said, Here is the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may you deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went his way, and Saul returned to his place. Now, we think that it's over, and this is the last time that they see each other. And I want to point out something, kind of a side note, when we're talking about man's opinion versus God's word. You see, David valued the kingship, and he scolded Abner because Abner did not value it like David did. And as we read in Scripture, and even in this passage, Although Saul is seeking to kill David, David still honors Saul. Now, I want to speak to you, church, today on this when we look at our country and we look at our leaders. There's false hope that we carry when we think that a man or woman is going to save us. Your citizenship is not first that the United States of America. Your citizenship is in heaven. That's where your citizenship lies, with Christ. But far too often, we have chosen to think that God is for the red, white, and blue over everyone else. For far too long. And we have this sense of entitlement that we deserve the very best. The very best. And I'm just going to tell you, I'm not going to get all political, but I guess I've kind of stepped in that rim for a second. But I don't have confidence in a man or a woman right now that's going to step in and be the next president. But my hope and security is not in them. If your hope and security is in them, you have much to be afraid of. This isn't a doom and gloom. And it's funny how we try to manipulate And we try to take the things that we love within a person and say, they're good. I'm going to tell you, on the landscape right now, we need to be praying for our leaders. I'm not talking about rebellion. I'm not talking about moving to another country. Amazing how many people wanted to move out of the UK this week, out of London. I'm not saying we need to move somewhere else so we can have the best life now. You need to pray for your leaders. Why pray for them if they're the way that they are? Let me just say it. Why pray for them if they're wicked? If they're wicked. And you may think I'm stepping out of line, but come on, man, we can look in the Word and we can look at the things that come out of their mouth and they're proving to be wicked. What do we do? We just sit back and do nothing. And we pray and then we act. And we pray and we ask God to work in their hearts the work of salvation. Say, uh uh, that ain't happening. If God can save you, He can save them. Who do you think you are? Do you think there's something desirable in you? Something more pretty and beautiful in you? No. Wretched sinner you are. Wretched sinner I am. Saved by the grace of God. So what do, what do we do? We pray. Why, why do we pray? What's the point? Well, we are to value the kingship. We are to value this role of what is in our country as president. Romans 13, 1 and 2. Let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. By God. Whose hand is in all of this? God's hand. God's hand. You say, where is God? Oh, he is in the midst. He's in the midst. He doesn't have his back turned or he's preoccupied with something else. So verse 2, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. 1 Peter 2.17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. You want to talk about some difficult people to follow in first century, it was the emperors, if you were a Christian, for they put many to death. First Timothy chapter 2, pray for the kings. And then he goes on and says, desire, desire that all be saved. What is he saying? Even these kings, even these wicked people. That they could be saved. That's what we're to do, church. We're to pray. We are not to grow discouraged, to give up. We are to trust in God. Christ, our King. In the midst when David is being hunted down by his King, and he has the chance to even kill his King, he does not. Now, that's just a little side note that I want to encourage you with to be praying. Be praying for our leadership. Maybe you think that's a little too strong or you think it's not strong enough. But church, I hope that we're awake and we have our hope in the right place and that you realize where your home truly is. Because if your confidence is not there, you will be defeated, meaning you will grow in despair and you will be useless. For God's glory, you will give up. You'll pout. You'll get angry. You can listen to whatever talk radio you want to and be right alongside with them. Listen, Christian. One, you have the right to vote. You need to pray heavily how you'll do that. But you do not grow in despair. What the world needs to see around them right now, in the midst of them, are people who have a hope that does not waver. And here's David, we can learn from David. He sets an example for us. He values the kingship even when the king is wicked. And so now to fast forward at the end, there's this godly wisdom that appears to lead to repentance with Saul and they depart ways. And we think David is the hero. Thank you David. Thank you David. Way to set the example. And he sets a good example right here. But in perfect fashion, because he is a man, and he comes from Adam and Eve, we turn to 1 Samuel 27, and we don't have to go any further than verse 1. Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. (laughs) There is nothing better for me Than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So after all of this, and we see this throughout the Bible, where man has victory and he goes right into the valley of defeat. And he's saying, Saul's gonna kill me. After all of this just happened. Now he's saying, Saul's gonna kill me. Why, David? Because David is just like us. You have days in which you have great victories, but you don't ride those victories into tomorrow. That's why we say, man, things were going good, and now today's terrible. Yeah, you're going to have those days. You're going to have great days of obedience, and then you're going to have some days of disobedience. And then another great day of obedience, because it's in Christ that we have placed our hope. Not David, not any man. And so when you have these days like David is having in 1 Samuel 27, what do you do? You must be reminded of God's word. And ultimately, there is a promise of a true hero, a better king, the greatest king, that being Christ Jesus. And so as we close here, three things. We see God's word over man's opinion. Here comes God's word in the flesh in John chapter 1. Makes his dwelling among us. People saw his dwelling. They give glory to God. Some did not, many did not. He came to fulfill the Father's plan. John six thirty eight. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That's why Jesus came, to do the will of the Father. You get it? God's word over man's opinion. And so we can trust in Christ above all. Number two, he values the kingship. He is the Messiah to come. He is the perfect king. He is the king that will not fail. He is the king that reigns forever. He is our king, church. He's our king. That's what we should be excited about. Are you excited that Christ is your king? Because what I'm looking at right now, man, I don't know. Come on, are you excited? I'm not asking for a pep rally here. I'm not asking for a fake applause. I'm just saying, are you excited that Christ is king? Man, I'm excited. That's why we have joy in the midst of whatever the day is. Because Christ is king. Psalm 2.6, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Christ is the long-expected king, and he now reigns forever. Here's the hope we have as well. Jesus never fails. David fails in 1 Samuel 27, but don't worry. He's going to fail us more as we go throughout the summer and we look at pasture to palace. David's going to fail us. He's going to break our hearts If you haven't read the story, he's going to break your heart. He's going to disappoint you. Man, he's going to do some crazy, wicked stuff. Jesus never fails. David was placed in the wilderness. He's running. He's hiding from Saul. We've read this account. Jesus is placed in the wilderness. After God says, this is my son in whom I'm pleased. This is my son. And then Jesus goes into the wilderness. And he's tempted for 40 days, 40 nights, tempted right there by Satan. No food, nothing to drink, fasting and being tempted. He is the hero. I don't think any of us want to attempt this because we can't. No one in this room could attempt what Jesus did. And just remember the last words we hear from God the Father, this is my son. With whom I'm well pleased. And then, as Jesus is coming out of the wilderness after being tempted for 40 days, 40 nights, he comes and Satan says, If you are the Son of God, he's crafty. Command this stone to be turned into bread. I mean, I don't know about you, but after 40 days, the first thing I'm wanting is some bread. Jesus responds by quoting some Old Testament, he responds with the word. The word over man's opinion. That's why we trust in Christ. He is the one we place our hope in. So we learn a great lesson today between David and Saul, although in great despair. David was held fast. And then we look to Christ, who is our hero. And looking to Christ, we can listen to God's word and obey God's word over man's opinion. Is there anything wrong with you having godly friends? No, I hope you have a bunch of them. But here's what I hope as you leave this place. One thing this message will encourage you to do is pray more diligently and read the word and not put your hope in man for your life, but in Christ. Do you have life in Jesus Christ today? Are you a follower of Jesus? I'm telling you, Christ is your only hope. We're going to see many things happen in our world, good and bad and ugly. Christ is your hope. You can heed God's word every day, but it begins by repenting of your sin and trusting that Christ, when he came, he died on the cross and shed his blood for sinful man. And your sins can be forgiven you. Trust in Jesus today. Where you're sitting, you, you say, hey, I want to trust in Jesus. I want to follow Christ. Take, take that card right there and just check on there. I want to know more about following Christ. Why do I say that? Because I don't want this moment to get away from you. I mean, if, if, you're, if this is heavy on your heart, follow up with somebody. We're going to be standing around the room. We're going to have some pastors up front. I'm going to be standing in the back. Come talk to us right now, even. We would love to share with you more about following Jesus. For the church, As you hear this today, be a praying people. Examine your life based on what you've heard today. And if you're making decisions because it just seems like the obvious choice, like a no-brainer situation, I just make decisions, do I really need to pray? Yes. And understand this, praying is not meant for stalling. It's meant for confirming, meaning that if somebody asks you to do something, you say, I'm going to pray about it. Let me pray about it because that's what I was told to do. Let me pray about it. That's not meant for you just to stall and think about it more. No, when you say, I pray about it, it means you're going to pray and you're looking for confirmation. And we'd be faithful in that. So church, be a praying people. Be a people who love the Word. They go together. Let us be daily in your life. If you're struggling with this and you'd like to talk with us we we make ourselves available for you as well we're getting to the time where we're going to stand and sing and then the offering plate's going to come by and church i just encourage you give with joy because god has given this to us we're grateful and when i'm saying this to us i'm talking about the body of believers (laughs) to do a great work in this town Give faithfully. To our guests, we'd love for you to drop that information as it comes by. And if God's working in your heart and you want to check one of those, saying, I want to be part of a community group, or I want to know more about following Christ, or I want to go to the membership class, Perimeter Basics, check one of those things. Communicate with us. We want to see you grow in Christ. Then as we get ready to stand and sing in just a moment, if you want to come talk to us, we are here to talk with you. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. And, Lord, as we wind down, I just want to say thank you that you hold us fast. May we be a people that heed your word, study your word, work in our hearts. And, Lord, may we make godly decisions based on the leadership of the Holy Spirit in us. that we be cautious of making flippant decisions based on our own experience. Fill us with wisdom. Grow this body of believers. And add to our number of people who want to follow Jesus. God, work among us now as we stand to sing, continue to work in our hearts. As we leave this place, may we leave as a faithful people Go spread your name and trust in your word. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name.